Hey, welcome to Unstable Topics, a fast-paced, jam-packed, unhinged bestie podcast filled with facts, reacts, and made-up games in between. We're your hosts, Sarah and Maggie, and we're excited for you to join our best friend hangout, where we surprise one another with things we find interesting or hilarious just to see how the other will react. Our friendship might be totally stable, but you never know what your bestie might throw your way to knock you off your game. So come shake things up, learn something new, and laugh along with us. This is Unstable Topics. At maximum mediocrity, people say things like, I don't dress like this on a regular basis. This isn't my, you know, pooping uniform. This is not <laughs> <laughs> And they also say things like, the, the nurses are usually either angels of mercy or whores. Every episode is a new experience where you get to know people that aren't famous, but should be. Why did my facing Floyd Mayweather in the Woods. My co-host Morgan and I track down the people you didn't know you needed to hear from. It's like hot sex in a mug. We are the Maximum Mediocrity Podcast, and we are on all major podcasting platforms. We'll be waiting for you. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Before My Time. I am your host, Kelsey Laurie, and we are joined, as always, with Matt Kelly to talk about our top five favorite black and white movies. Let's see what they are. We're here to entertain you. We'll sing your songs for good times, the best times, you can't go wrong. We'll two-step, a new step, it won't be long. When the Dixieland's are playing, soon you'll be swaying, so come on, sing along. Gelsey, this may have been, I know we say this at the start of almost every top five episode, but I, for me personally, as a hardcore cinephile, this was such a- I don't like that word. That sounds too close to pedophile. I don't like it, I know, but that's the word. That's the word. I don't know what to tell you. Um, Well, the word people. (laughs) Change it. Like, because it was, you know, when you're doing like top five Beach Boys songs, there's still there's a lot, but it's a very condensed pot. You, you know can what only I mean? Like from the Beach Boys. I know. I almost only, was gonna text you and say, should we do like a time frame? But I didn't. <laughs> but I, well, uh, I I ended up putting them in my honorable mentions, but there were definitely two films that I wrote down that were well past when black and white movies were still. Me too, and I know one of them is <laughs> we have the same. But I I put an honorable. I was like, no, this technically should be on my top five, but I'm gonna make that rule for myself. That like yeah, that's yeah. I I'm glad that without texting each other we both conclude yeah. that Young Frankenstein couldn't be in the It's convention. exactly the one. I knew. I was like, we're both going to pick Young Frankenstein. I was like, I feel like that's a cop-out, though, because in the 70s, it's just like we're well beyond black and white movies. That's yeah, not what I think, we meant. I think we I, should say we, okay. black and white representing an era to a certain point. Like, Yeah, because I kind of have of one that kind of does that, that like technically we had color. But anyways, we'll get into that. But Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, well, you pick this topic. 
I'll let you go first. Okay. Um, let's see. I'm not going to lie. I really have no specific order because all of my top five, they just are top five, but I would say they all in some way kind of are equal in my mind. Um, mm-hmm. Again, and I think we discussed this off the air, but these aren't necessarily what we think cinematically is the top five should be an AFI's top five, you know, so it's kind of more personal at this point, just like all the songs, like what is our favorite? Um, so I want to put out that, put that out there. Cause I know there's going to be a lot of movies that people are like, are you fucking nuts? But <laughs> I am, if you didn't know that. Yes, yeah. I am. Welcome to the show. Welcome. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to just start with this one, I think. Um, so I'm going to start with all about Eve 1950. Ooh, this is one. Betty Davis. It's a dramatic film. Um, I had to put on, I, I kind of went by some of my actresses that I was like, I, I knew I love Betty Davis. I've listened to her book called The Lonely Life, really good autobiography. And kind of sad, you know, it's about the lonely life. But yeah. I, she is by far one of the best dramatic actresses ever, period. Not even of that era. But And I want to say this is the movie I've seen the most of hers and that had the biggest impact on me. And it's she's a little older because obviously Betty Davis was acting, you know, into the 30s or starting then and she was so young. But I like her more as that a little bit older, refined, bitter woman. I, I think she plays that part so well and grew into that more so than when she was younger. This is, yes, like I said, 1950 American drama film written and directed by Joseph Mankiewicz. We'll say that's right. Definitely Jewish. And produced by Daryl Zanuck, uh, which Daryl Zanuck has produced hundreds. I mean, I could go through his list. It's crazy, but it stars Betty Davis as Margot Channing, a highly regarded but aging Broadway star, and Anne Baxter as Eve Harrington, an ambitious young fan who maneuvers herself into Channing's life, ultimately threatening Channing's career and personal relationships. So it's kind of about being this has-been star and the new up-and-coming coming in. And um, Marilyn Monroe is actually in this movie. She has a smaller role in it, but um, it's one of her earlier kind of cameos. And it, like I said, there's a... A monologue she has at the end in the taxi cab about being a woman. She's like, that's the thing about being a woman. Like, your career could be great and this, that. But at the end of the day, you're only seen as one thing. You're only a woman. You're a man's wife. You're this, that. And I'll have to find it and send it to you because it's brilliant. But probably the most famous line from this film and probably one of the most famous lines in movies, period, is fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy ride. ride. Yeah, no, it's a great movie. Um, Betty Davis did make it onto my top five. Uh, I will throw that there was an honorable mention for a Betty Davis movie on my list. Uh, which was whatever happened to Baby Jane from uh, 1962 yeah. that uh, kickstarted uh, a subgenre referred to as the psycho bitty subgenre of finding these actresses from way back when and putting them in like more exploitative, mm-hmm. uh, almost borderline horror movie type roles. Uh, but yeah, Betty Davis is phenomenal. Uh, I mean, her eyes are so pretty. There's songs about it. She's uh, got so, Betty Davis eyes. Actually, that kind of go... revived Betty Davis's career in a way. Or um, she talks about it in her book how that you know it, it had been a decade or two that now she's just this old star. And when that came out, people were like, "You're Betty Davis!" Like, yeah, it was yeah. kind of a cool little. She has, uh, I believe, she's the one that has this quote. I can never remember who passed away first, but obviously, her and Joan Crawford, Joan Crawford. Yes, mm-hmm. Joan Crawford infamously disliked each other. 
Mm-hmm. And I forget which one died. I'm going to say for the sake of this story that it was Joan that died first. And then Betty Davis, uh, when asked for a comment about it, said, My mother told me never to say anything bad about the dead, only the good. Joan Crawford's dead. That's good. <laughs> I would say that sounds like a Betty. I don't know. I, I, I could see either of them saying that. I really, I'm surprised I haven't watched it yet, but I need to watch Feud. I still haven't watched Feud either, which is literally is like, about the making believe- of what, yeah, I know. or whatever happened. Um, Jessica Lange and Susan Sarandon playing them, and they're both brilliant actresses as well. It's, so it's, I do need to. There's watch no way that. it's not a good watch. There's like, yeah. like I refuse to believe that it's not. Um, I'm going to go in the complete opposite direction of all about Eve. Uh, when I was in college and I started taking a film class, uh, I got really sucked in to this uh, comedy troupe and I now own every movie that they've ever made uh, and that's the Marx Brothers and I had to go with what I think is their uh, best film, Duck Soup. I knew it! I was um, like, it better be Duck Soup. I was just thinking, I was gonna say it. I was Duck like, Soup is soup. so smart. Oh, it's so fun. I mean, and and let me say that like picking a best Marx Brothers film isn't easy because like every one of those movies has like classic scenes i want to say it's night at the opera that has like the scene where it's like 10 people in a ro- in a very tiny closet like they do a mm-hmm. lot of really impressive physical bits we really do need to do a marx brothers episode in the future. we do like, yeah but but the um the big thing with that one is probably the mirror gag i would say that's probably the most famous marx brothers moment especially in duck soup uh in which harpo is dressed like groucho breaks a mirror revealing a room on the other side. And when Groucho comes to investigate, he pretends to be Groucho's uh, reflection in the mirror. Yes. Uh, and they do like a four minute completely inside. Like, I don't know why there's no, it, I don't know if the audio got lost or whatever, but when you watch like the DVD versions of it, there's no audio suddenly. Like it's like complete silence of them doing this like, waving the hands at the same time, like doing a weird jump and skip move in front. Like, it's just, it's a brilliant comedic beat. And it's super short. That movie's like 64 minutes or something. Like, it's mm-hmm. it barely constitutes a feature-length film, but it is so funny, so it. charming. I love the Marx Brothers, but this is, it's the first one I watched, and they never hit the highs of Duck Soup, in my opinion, Yeah, how much I like their other films. I do love um, 1938 Room Service, the Marx Brothers. Room Service is fun. Ironically, um, I'll let this be a transition for me to my next one, has a very young Lucille Ball in that movie as the lead lady. As a pretty, even though it's a comedic movie, obviously, she's not a comedian in it. She's just kind of the leading lady. Well, especially 1938. It was like, you weren't allowed to be a funny woman. Still. Exactly. And so that, I was like, oh, is, I was curious if it was going to be that, because I was like, funny enough, I have a movie that Lucille Ball is also in as a very small role in 1936, and this is on my top five, Follow the Fleet. And this is my Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers movie that I put on there. And that was very difficult for me to pick which one. I'm not going to say I have a favorite. I love them all for different reasons. Um, But Follow the Fleet was one that I've probably seen the most. And it just hit me when I did watch it that I was like, I love this movie. And there's a very young um, Lucille Ball in that as well. Fun fact, though, Lucille Ball, who I listen to her autobiography as well. um, And I'm currently reading Ginger's. But... 
Ginger Rogers' mother was almost like a dead mother for a lot of these women in the entertainment world. She really helped advocate for Ginger and, and got her career on the roll, but she kind of took in um, some girls that were all in the same uh, contracts. I forget what studio they were under, you know, because you'd be contracted and then kind of just in your acting classes and trying to get the next role. And Lucille Ball owes a lot of her career to Ginger Mo- Rogers' mother for taking her in at certain points in her life and guiding her and molding her. Uh, Because, you know, Lucille Ball is funny. You know, we know her as Lucy and I love Lucy and one of the best female comedians. That is not what her career started as. And that's not what she was going for originally. She was going for the same thing Ginger was, a serious starlet actress. And Ginger Rogers even talks about how, you know, her career is looked back on and everyone goes, Fred and and Ginger. Oh, she's the girl with Fred. She's a dancer. And she's like... "Um, I've had more movies than I have with Fred that are not with him and more dramatic roles. She's a brilliant actress as well, but you know, they kind of get stuck in, I mean, Lucille Ball will always be Lucy, the silly, like that is who she is. And, um, but yeah, so I thought that was really cool that Ginger Rogers mother had such a big impact on Lucille Ball's career, but follow the fleet is uh, 1936, like I said, a musical comedy. And it has one of the most, it's Irving Berlin. We all know how I feel about Irving Berlin. Fucking love mm-hmm. him. Um, I'm not going to go, it, it kind of comes into how you always talk about these musicals where you're like, the plot kind of sucks and it's kind of not. But it, it's about um, some seamen who get shore leave in are they in New York City? Why do I feel like? Or that's uh, it's it's not that the plot sucks. I feel like the it's just they they reuse a lot of plot just to get you to like here's the cool dance number in this version of this storyline that you've already seen. Kind of, yeah. And some <laughs> of them like have a fun, you know this this has a fun intertwined typical. I, the plot is what it is. I'm not even really going to go in, into it, but. Some of the more famous songs that Irving Berlin has in this is Let Yourself Go, Let Yourself Go, Relax and Let Yourself. Um, Ginger Rogers singing that is just the cutest. She has this cute little captain's sailor hat on. And, I'm definitely going to have to watch this She's one just soon. the most charming, sweet thing ever. Um, I'm putting all my eggs in one basket, which we also get in Holiday Inn. Do we get that Easter Parade as well? I'm putting I all my do. eggs in one basket. And then the most famous probably top Fred and Ginger numbers of all times is Let's Face the Music and Dance. And this is, um, they're in a show and Let's Face the Music and Dance, um, you know, Fred sings first, which they do a lot. He'll sing to her and then they have this big dance number, which the the song is so sweet. The lyrics are, you know, let's face the music and dance or whatever. It's kind of very off key, but it's a very sweet lyric into a metaphor of life, you know, it obviously. Um, but in this number, they did so many takes of this dance and she had this giant, I mean, always a beautiful ball gowns and her sleeves were huge. And it was this really heavy beaded dress. And they took, I forget how many takes they ended up um, actually making. It was, I'm just seeing if I can like see a quick number here, but it doesn't look like it. Um, a, a lot of takes and the take they ended up using is one where, it, cause it's a continuous, here it is. It's a continuous shot for two minutes and 50 seconds. There we go. And during the first take, Roger's dress, which was heavily weighted as to be um, achieve a controlled swinging action, hit a stare in the face midway through the routine. And that is actually the take that they used. And so I have watched it and you can see when it just like knocks him out. But it was the best take they had. And he keeps going because, of course, he's a professional. Um, So I, I do love that dance. It's one of the most beautiful 
Fred and Ginger dances. And that's, there also is one of my favorite numbers in this is uh, they're kind of working on a show on a boat and Fred's gets Ginger up and he's like, okay, let's like, just follow me. Let's see if we can like work a routine out. And he does a dance and she kind of follows, but is mocking him and he'll change to the next dance move. And she keeps doing the same dance move as before and will run into him. And it's, it's just a brilliant, she ends up falling like hard on her ass. She goes flying. Like I would say like stunt woman flying. It's impressive. And I, I just love it. So anyways, yeah. I love that we're just like flip flopping between light and dark as each person. Yeah, that's I mean, black and white. It's like how that's how yeah. I kind of had to get a little. You bit went with cold. something lighthearted, and now I'm about to bring us down to the cold, harsh realities of what happened to many uh, silent film stars with mm. one of the best noir movies ever made, Sunset Boulevard by uh, Billy Wilder. Uh, absolutely love this movie for. This was another one that I remember watching in that college film course and then immediately buying a DVD and I would watch it constantly because, I mean, first of all, ground like like groundbreaking to start a movie already letting us know that our main character is dead. You know, yeah. the movie opens with the narrator's corpse floating in a pool being like, I bet you're wondering how I got here. And then we go through this dark, Very twisted great tale. Yeah, seriously. Uh, very twisted tale. Um and it, I mean, we were talking about with All About Eve, some of the, fam- you know, All About Eve has that famous film line. This obviously has, I'm ready for my close up, Mr. DeMille. Yeah, uh, gosh, like, I always say that. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just so, it's so good. It's so sad. It's, it's not a horror movie, but it uses a lot of the like German expressionism camera tricks to just put you in a state of unease every time that they're walking around this big empty manor and you know that things are going to go badly by the end because you know that he's going to be dead by the end of the movie yeah. and it, it it's just it's so smart. Billy Wilder, I mean literally any Billy Wilder movie could just make out that like even just doing a top 5 Billy Wilder list would be very difficult cuz the man has made, made so many yeah. You didn't put him at all on your list? I said, don't worry, he did make my list. Of course oh, he, he made did my make list. Your list. Of course. I was going to say, I think I might have two Billy Wilder films on I my list. I feel like you're going to be like, I feel like the next couple you, oh, maybe this one you won't be able to call, but okay, so I'm going to I'm gonna do this for the next third because I feel like this is a very, very obvious pick. And you might have it too, but I'm going to go with 1942 Casablanca. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. You have it on uh, your list, right? I, I actually had it in the same spot as you as my number three. Oh, um, like minor kind of no reason, no rhyme, but I just felt like it was, I didn't want to put it as number one. I don't know why, just because I, I, I think one. it's the same reason I didn't put it as number one. I'm like, everybody puts that as the number one. Yeah. Best and movie, it's not my but, number one as much. No, as I love it. It's it my number one. You know, um, but this one, it's undeniable. Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid Bergman. I mean, we have a whole episode about I it, I was just going to say, we just episode say, hey guys, 55. check out our episode. Honestly, <laughs> check out episode 55. We do. I I really enjoyed that episode. Sometimes I fumble and you're probably listening going, Kelsey, get your shit together. This is like the worst episode. I really like our Casablanca episode. I have a lot of really cool insight of the making of it. And it was a really interesting film. Um, they kind of were writing it as they went, which does not happen, say, did movie... not happen. The movie is so good, and the fact that it was Ugh. literally being assembled as it was being shot, it makes it all the more impressive how tight the script is. And I think we talked about that on that episode, but like, also very funny. It's a very it's funny really movie. Funny. 
It has great, and I feel like that's like the best. If you're gonna have an extremely dramatic film, you and it's very uh, Shakespeare did it all the time. You have that comedic relief. You have to because it's just too fucking depressing. And Casablanca has a really nice use of that kind of little, uh, what would you call it? Waves. I'm doing motions. Yeah, flames, flames, flames on the side of my face. Like that's how I feel right now. You know what I'm trying to say. So yeah, we're not going to go too far into because we have a whole hour of it that y'all can listen to. Go do it. it I really, I do highly recommend that one. And he is all right. Well, then you get to dive right into number two because that was my number three. Great. Well, number two. Okay, this is probably one of the most influential films on me. I saw it when I was. I think 15 years old. And this is what got me into film noir and okay. this. So it's 1933 baby face starring Barbara Stanwyck. Yes. And this is a pre-code drama film. And if you don't know what pre-code is, we have an entire episode on pre-code films. Yeah. Episode number 17. These, Look at me, Matt. These top five episodes at- are always really good for us to push people to other episodes of I the know. show. If and you, I do really it's like, like when you're on YouTube and it's well. like, if you like this video, maybe we Check suggest. Check out our others. <laughs> it is. Well, in pre-code era, I'll just do like a really quick. It's basically before the Hayes Codes came out, which is we have it a little bit today in our rating system, PGG rated R PG 13 that didn't exist. And so back in like the late twenties, when the talkies came out into most of the thirties, cause they didn't really push it for a while. There was no, it was like the law. wild west. A little it was bit. the wild yeah. west of films. And there's a lot of shit. You think, Ooh, they're modest. They're prude. It's the thirties. It's all this. Who no, there's lots yeah, of watch like, a Tarzan movie of from the late twenties, <laughs> early thirties. Like, yeah. A lot of, yeah. Tarzan was one that I definitely was like, what year is this? Can they? But yeah, there's so much nudity in it. It is. Um, it's so much nudity. It's great. I love it. That's why I watch HBO. Um, <laughs> but this movie is um, an awesome, like, it was marketed with the tagline, she had it and made it pay. And it's this real, The I remember I was watching Turner Classic Movies is when I first saw it. And they were advertising, like, this is going to be on later. And the preview for this movie was this real men took advantage of her and now she was gonna get what she wants like and i was like i have to see this movie and this is my first barbara stanwyck who now is one of my all-time favorite favorites like between her and betty davis like i can't honestly decide who's my favorite probably betty but i just love barbara someone on instagram told me that i remind them of her this man that follows me or this that was like you look like barbara stanwyck and i was like Thank you. you I'm actually talking to a ghost right now because you died immediately. (laughs) I did. I died immediately. I was like, moi, Barbara. (laughs) But um, she just, she has that same um, thing that Betty does on on screen where they're, they're not the most beautiful women of Hollywood. They're really not. But you can't, they, that's why they had these roles of these strong, femme fatale, they're definitely the ones that killed somebody and they're not sorry. And, oh, they're so good. And so it makes them beautiful and sexy and independent. And But um, that's why they're the women of film noir. And um, so this movie's a super, I I would recommend just watching it. It is a bit long, but it's really amazing for its time where she plays Lily Powers. It's a very young, attractive woman and kind of sleeps her way to the top. And then once she actually finds love, she loses it because she realized that's, you know, it's one of those movies. And it was, um, I think it was their response to redheaded woman was the, yes, it was, this is a Warner brothers film. And it was the answer to MGM's redheaded woman, which was 1932 starring Jean Harlow, which kind of had a very pre-code 
film with a similar theme of women getting what they want. Um, this is actually really interesting, though, because the production head, Daryl Zanuck, who I talked about earlier, wrote the treatment for the film and sold it to Warner Brothers for a dollar. The Great Depression was having a devastating effect on the film industry at the time, and many studio personnel were voluntarily taking salary cuts to help. Zanuck did not need the money because he was drawing a weekly sal- salary of $3,500, which at that time was a lot. Um, he later left Warner Brothers and became the head of 20th Century Fox. So he kind of did this on a you know, like voluntary-ish, but this, that. Um, this was only shot in 18 days, and it cost 187000 to make. And, yeah, it's just – it uses St. Louis Blues as kind of the main song they use with the – and it – it's just so good. There's a great scene. One of my favorite scenes is her explaining to someone she's tearing up, you know. She's like, men, they've taken what they wanted from me, and now I'm going to get what I want to get to the top. Just real great hysterical rants that are my favorite. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely highly recommend this film. All right. All right. Uh, so my number two, I went with a horror movie. I'm going to make an assumption. I think I know what your number one is, and I'm going to assume it's not a horror movie, so I can it's say where not. my thought process was. Um, so, so if I'm being a person who's putting a horror movie in there because it's a work of art and it's a masterpiece and it's everything that everyone says about it, then it would be Psycho. It would be Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. It's a it's an incredible movie. But if I'm going with what is the black and white horror movie that I have watched more than any other that I have just loved so much, it's the original Creature from the Black Lagoon. I have always loved the creature. When I was a kid, I was obsessed with the look of the creature. It was probably one of the earliest horror movies I ever watched was my grandfather's VHS tape of Creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, And it's got some of the most beautiful underwater cinematography in there. We've done... Two of the Universal Monsters. We really should try to get the other three yeah. big culprits knocked out. I mean, October's quickly approaching, honestly. Don't I think say that. I don't want summer to go that fast. I'm enjoying my best we're summer life. the and it's beautiful, been... lovely fall, my favorite uh, No, it's been so gloomy. No, summer's going to last <laughs> long. Halloween, but, I guarantee you, mark my words, I'll be in a bikini at Halloween. It's That's going to be that kind of season. Well, you also live out. in a place where that's actually probably more acceptable. <laughs> but, uh But yes, no, Creature from the Black Lagoon, gorgeous movie. Um, the creature design's so nice. It's so... It's one of the first times that I feel like they made... Oh, no, that's not true. Frankenstein, I think, fell into that same category, too. But we're Sympathy really getting into... Yeah, like, the, the the monster is almost as much of a victim as any person that's harmed by the monster because the, the creature's just doing its thing, living and existing, and then a bunch of mm-hmm. assholes try to capture him, and then he tries to fight for survival at that point. He does kill some people along the way, but still, Whoops. you know... You got to crack a few eggs. Um, so, Kelsey, how about you tell us why Some Like It Hot is your number one on the list? <laughs> I knew you. I was like, you know what it is. Like, And if you are an avid listener of this podcast and you've been with us since, God, the early, episode early, three. early. I know. Episode three was Some Like It Hot. I, I haven't listened to that. God, how many, how long ago? That was, that? was with a year, Meg. A year and a half That was ago? our first guess as well. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> 
I was still very in my concussion recovery. And I've, I remember listening back on that episode going, I don't remember really recording this. I know I was staying at my friend's place. It's so weird. But anyways, 1959, some like it hot. And it's funny. We said at the beginning of this that we were like, oh, we can't do Young Frankenstein because colored movies were accessible and they did it as a novelty. That is exactly what they did with Some Like It Hot. This is 1959. Black and white movies were not done anymore. They actually fought to not make this a black and white movie. But Billy Wilder was like, this has to be a black. Here's my Billy Wilder. This has to be black and white. It's the only way that aesthetically it'll make it all work. And he was a thousand percent right. So even though I said, oh, we can't do that, I totally chose that. And I said, there's no rhyme or reason to my order. I lied. This is absolutely a thousand percent my number one. This is one of my top three all-time favorite films of all, say, all time. This times. is one of your favorite movies ever, Period. ever, ever, ever made. Like screw color or black and white. It just is. Um, again, if you want to like really, really, really deep dive into it, go into episode three. I've got all the information, but it is a Marilyn Monroe film, a Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis. And it is a classic 1920s gangster film where Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon are musicians that see what is supposed to be equivalent to St. Valentine's Massacre. So they're in Chicago. They see this huge gangster shooting. They escape. And so now the gangsters are off um, after them. They have to hide out from the mob. And they pose as women in an all-women's band to get a free ride to Florida. Marilyn Monroe is a singer of that. So, of course, Tony Curtis falls in love with her. And then while they're in Florida, pretends to be a millionaire and woo her. But then his side still jumping back and forth being her female co-bandmate. And it's Jack Lemmon's performance. Like, he would be the uh, comedic relief we are talking about. But Jack Lemmon is brilliant in this movie. It's just my favorite movie of all times. Like, yeah. I was going to say, I honestly, just watch it. You're saying top three, but I, I genuinely think this is your number one film. I do think this might be my favorite movie of all times. I've watched it. So this was my first Marilyn Monroe movie I ever saw. And I think I talk about it in the episode. I was doing a dance recital um, for my mom and she had me doing a solo to diamonds are girls, best friend. My father being the father, he is an amazing man. Hi dad. Um, was like, you have to see this movie. He got it wrong. He didn't realize yeah, that was from gen- Gentlemen Prefer, gentlemen blondes. prefer blondes. He yeah. rented some like it hot and was wrong. But we both were like, this is the best movie. And I was probably six years old. Yeah. And I think it's been one of my favorite movies, if not then my favorite movie ever since. This is another one that I've sung the praises of as one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, I always talk about this with a little bit of sadness because it's a little bit of a sad movie. Uh, who am I kidding? But... Um, it's a movie that I remember watching after my grandfather had already passed away. And it had been, you know, this wasn't like I watched it the, a few months after. It had, it had been a good amount of years. But I remember watching it and feeling uh, like an unspoken connection back mm-hmm. to my grandfather with it. Um, it's a Christmas classic. Frank, Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, I was it's like, what just is it? A, but yes. Yeah. It's just such a pretty movie. and I And I think that people misconstrue it a lot of the times i hear a lot of people be like oh that's a depressing movie about a guy who wants to kill himself and i'm like yes if you if you boil it down to the bare essentials that's what it is what i see it as is a beautiful story of how much our lives impact the people around us even if we don't realize it and that Mm -hmm. sometimes you need that reminder that like you're doing all right i i heard a quote in a podcast the other day which is not quite it's a wonderful life, but I think it's something that's important to you and myself to to hear, which was the guest was saying, 
it's really difficult when you're a creative person because you have to balance feeling like a failure while simultaneously also being probably the most successful person that your friends and family know. And I was like, holy shit, did that like hit me in my core? Because yeah, I feel like I'm nowhere near where I want to be with my career. But as far as like the people I went to high school with or like anybody in my family, they've never met or seen anybody who's like traveling constantly and doing all these cool things in pursuit of their dreams. So in their eyes, I already am a success because I'm doing something that I love as a full-time career. And it's, I feel like it's a wonderful life is one of those movies that really helps ground me and remind me that like the decisions that I'm making. And even if it feels like it's not going in a big way, if if someone's life is made better by having interacted with me, then I'm living Mm -hmm. a good life regardless on how successful I am. So uh, no, I love that. I just recently had an experience like that last week with my new job, which is a survival job. I've taken a step away from entertainment, which is a really hard pill for me to swallow. I'm like, my, letting myself down or whatever. But um, I had a moment like that where someone reached out and was just like, your conversation with me today made a difference in how I've thought about the last two years and me moving forward. And thank you. And I was just like, holy shit, this is what it's about. Like, and it, yeah, it is. It's, I think we get so caught up in the production and success and status and, and all that. And it's not about that. Yeah. And you're like, listen, you're, you're a wild case. Go and check out the two hour podcast that Gelsey did on the Alyssa Explains It All podcast. But like, I'm not. I think your situation is more trying to chase a, a giant success dragon that you had already because I feel like by the by your mid twenties you had already succeeded Mm-hmm. in bigger ways than most people do in 70 years of living. Which is, that's kind of a blessing and a curse. You hear a lot about when yeah. people, you know, achieve their dreams young, where do you go from there? And it's, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I thought next was Hollywood. And it, sometimes the reality of the day-to-day getting to a dream is not what you want. And that's kind of... It's not sexy. That's that's <laughs> no what one... I, that's where I'm at is just like, yeah, yeah. sure, the, the idea of the top My... of the mountain looks good, but it the reality is the climb and it's just being realistic. Is that the life you want to live? And I, I don't know yeah. if it is. Yeah. One of my favorite lyrics, uh, a friend of mine wrote a song one time and one of the lyrics they wrote was I've got five more years of trying my best to become an overnight success. And I was like, what a, <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of truth and sadness in that lyric. Yeah. Because... And it is. And it's like that, you know, well, did you know that uh, this big famous actress lived under their car until they were 50 and look at them now. And I'm like, I don't want to live in my car. Until I'm 50. I don't want to like, live in my car. That's, a, that's like, the thing that you have to hit. The thing. I don't know. Yeah. And that's, that's the reality where I'm at. So yeah. yeah but work. you know what? We, we cool. left a lot of great movies on the board, and after this commercial break, we'll we'll go over a few of our honorable mentions. Yeah. Hey, welcome to Unstable Topics, a fast-paced, jam-packed, unhinged, bestie podcast filled with facts, reacts, and made-up games in between. We're your hosts, Sarah and Maggie, and we're excited for you to join our best friend hangout, where we surprise one another with things we find interesting or hilarious just to see how the other will react. Our friendship might be totally stable, but you never know what your bestie might throw your way to knock you off your game. So come shake things up, learn something new, and laugh along with us. This is Unstable Topics.
At maximum mediocrity, people say things like, I don't dress like this on a regular basis. This isn't my, you know, pooping uniform. This is not <laughs> <laughs> And they also say things like, the, the nurses are usually either angels of mercy or whores. Every episode is a new experience where you get to know people that aren't famous, but should be. Why am I facing Floyd Mayweather in the Woods. My co-host Morgan and I track down the people you didn't know you needed to hear from. It's like hot sex in a mug. We are the Maximum Mediocrity Podcast, and we are on all major podcasting platforms. We'll be waiting for you. It is mind-blowing. And heartbreaking. How many original scripts are written every year but are never made? So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! All right, Gelsey, we are back. And, I mean, I've got... I've probably got like 10 things in my honorable mentions. I'm not going to go over all of them, but how about you? What what were some of, let's spitball a few of our honorable mentions. Yeah, well, we already know Young Frankenstein is on both of ours, and I like that we both mm-hmm. took it off for the right reason. But um, my other Betty Davis one is Jezebel. It's she's okay. very young in that movie. It's amazing. It's a it's it, whatever. It's great. Double Indemnity, which we've done an entire episode on that. I didn't say what number, but if you want to learn more about that film, that is my Barbara Stanwyck. I don't know why, more. but in my brain, I want to say it was forty four. I do, I have no clue why. I feel like um, that sounds right. Sure. I, yeah, you know what? I think I, it might be like forty nine or fifty. It's in it's in that general Stylistically, vicinity. Stylistically, if I think of her hair, I don't know. Okay. Um, <laughs> You know me. Holiday Inn. You know how much I love that movie. I know. I was actually shocked that Holiday Inn wasn't. Did, especially when you made a reference to it earlier. I was like, ooh, Holiday Inn could be in here. I didn't go with, <laughs> you know what? Holiday movies are never going to be on my top list. I love them f- during the holidays. But they, it's, yeah, they're just not a, I don't know. Um, and then my other uh, Barbara Stanwyck movie that I love is The Strange Love of Martha I- Ivers. It's really a great film noir of like, I think you see her kill someone first and that it's, it's a great classic tangled love story and death. And she like ends up shooting him while she's like hugging him in the end and embrace. It's one of those like, Oh, um, that one's great. Those are kind of actually, I just tried to spit off the top of my head. There's so many, I mean, every single Fred and Ginger movie is my favorite. Roberta's great. Top hats. Amazing. Those all deserve a place. And then, you know, Mark's brothers, but those were the ones that I just kind of, yeah, pooped out. Um, also, we could not have been further off. Uh, Double Indemnity was episode 18. Uh, it was episode 18? <laughs> episode 18. Jesus. Uh, I just I just looked it up. Um, so similarly to why I kept Young Frankenstein off the list of being like this was well after black and white movies had kind of faded out. Uh-huh. So uh, I also did that for Night of the Living Dead. Uh, from 1968. Oh, I love um, that movie. Yeah, the original Black and White Night Living Dead is is arguably one of the best horror films ever made. Yes. Um, I'm going to only do ones that we hadn't mentioned. Obviously, Some Like It Hot was on my honorable mentions list because the movie's great. Um, Harvey, which I've referenced before, is a Jimmy Stewart film that I absolutely love. Uh, it's, you know, about a giant imaginary rabbit, which... Uh, part of the reason why I wanted to see it was just because of the weird reference that's made about it in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, mm. When he goes, oh, you know, I'll show you my rabbit, Harvey. <laughs> um, and then, I mean, it's considered one of the most important films of all time. I would say 
while it's not my favorite movie of all time, it is probably the most important movie ever made, which is obviously Citizen Kane, like the things that that movie did for like the filmmaking process. And then a movie that I'd love for us to just do an episode where we dive into it one day. Dead um, Men, Sullivan's don't Travels. Oh, just kidding. Have you ever seen uh, Sullivan's Travels? Mm-mm. So it's kind of an obscure movie. Um, like it's one that shows up on a lot of like best of lists. Uh, Veronica Lake, uh, Joel McCree. Uh, and it's about a filmmaker named Sullivan. He's a director who decides that he's going to live life as a homeless person so that he can make a gritty real drama about what people go through when being homeless. Um, and what ends up happening is he, he learns the importance of comedy and there's a great speech that he gives towards the end of the movie where he says, there's a lot to be said about making people laugh. Do you know that for some people that's all that they have and it isn't much, but it's better than nothing in this cockamamie cavern of life. And I feel like that movie delivers so much of a message of what you and I both kind of believe which is like comedy is so important for bringing people out of the darkness and that it is a very valuable thing yeah Yeah. so uh those would be my my honorable mentions they almost made it they were this close my god my hair um (laughs) kelsey if there are other films that people think how could you not include this five star Roger Ebert's favorite black and white movie pick. Where can they go and let us know what we missed? Like the Steve Martin Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. That's what I was saying. We will. We have to do Dead Men. We have to do. I know that was day. another one. I was like, I can't. But that's. Uh, well, we've talked about doing a deep dive and then going through each movie that is incorporated in that. But yes, you can let us know what your favorite black and white movie and how stupid we are for not including it on Instagram. Find us at Before My Time underscore podcast or on Facebook. Just type in Before My Time. We will pop up right on our wall. Send us a DM. Comment on our latest post, even if it has nothing to do with black and white movies. Just be like, "What's up?" And I'll be like, "Hey, what's up?" Also, if you have a second, please leave us a review. Five stars would be awesome. It helps us get in front of more listeners like yourself. Thanks again so much for tuning in, and we'll see you soon. Bye. Welcome to Unstable Topics, a fast-paced, jam-packed, unhinged, bestie podcast filled with facts, reacts, and made-up games in between. We're your hosts, Sarah and Maggie, and we're excited for you to join our best friend hangout, where we surprise one another with things we find interesting or hilarious just to see how the other will react. Our friendship might be totally stable, but you never know what your bestie might throw your way to knock you off your game. So come shake things up, learn something new, and laugh along with us. This is Unstable Topics.
At maximum mediocrity, people say things like, I don't dress like this on the regular basis. This isn't my, you know, pooping uniform. This is not what <laughs> And they also say things like, the, the nurses are usually either angels of mercy or whores. Every episode is a new experience where you get to know people that aren't famous, but should be. Why did my facing Floyd Mayweather in the Woods. My co-host Morgan and I track down the people you didn't know you needed to hear from. It's like hot sex in a mug. We are the Maximum Mediocrity Podcast, and we are on all major podcasting platforms. We'll be waiting for you. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.